Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Hey everybody, it's Mark Pattison back again with another great episode of Finding Your Summit, all about people overcoming adversity and finding their way. And before we get into the episode today, I just want to remind everybody to go to my website, www.markpattisonnfl.com, and please go in, rate, review. There's tons of podcasts. I think I'm up around 175 now after a year and a half or so, so uh, continue to get amazing guests like the person on today. And also, we continue to fundraise for Amelia's Everest. You can go there. There's a tab, a tab called Everest blog, and you can find out everything you want to know about what's going on. I now have a affiliation with Higher Ground. It is very exciting. And there'll be more about that uh, a little bit later. But let's get to my amazing guest today. She is the one and only Mary Jane Elmore. Mary, how you doing? Good. Great. Actually, I'm going to call you Mary Jane, MJ. Is that cool? You're going to call me MJ, right? MJ, yes. yeah. You're a very famous uh, uh, basketball letters. Player. That's no, right. That's right. All right. So you are another amazing soul that's come to me via higher ground, and we get into higher ground a little bit later in the episode. But what I thought was so fascinating is that I've had a string of really interesting women come on, and I've got two daughters myself. And to me, it's all about women empowerment. Um not necessarily about that's the only thing of this podcast, but when you're talking about finding your summit, all about people overcoming adversity and finding your way. And here it comes to me um, that, you know, you're one of the first venture capitalists um, that kind of really made their mark down in Southern California. I'm sorry, Northern California in Palo Alto. Um, and you've had this really distinguished career. And so as I'm going back, you know, I mean, I've, I've raised money for different uh, companies um, quite a bit. I've been down to Sand Hill. Um, and so I've gone through this whole, you know, trial and tribulation of trying to raise money and what that's all about. It can be very intimidating. But, but most of all, I always pitched in front of, of men. And then here you come and make a major mark. And so I want to go back to when you were in, in college, growing up back in the Midwest, you went to Purdue. And were there... Any kind of mentors for you that help pave the way? Because you're kind of an innovator in terms of being first. I would say the mentor, if you want to call her, that would have been my older sister, um, who she was uh, three years older than me. I, she was uh, 
she went to Purdue also. She was a math major. I was a math major. And, you know, for us, you know, there we lived in uh, the town of Terre Haute, Indiana, which is uh, Indiana State University is there. That's where Larry Bird played mm-hmm. his college ball. That's sort of maybe one thing they're known for. But in my family, we were five kids. My dad was a school teacher, and the likelihood was we were going to go to school at Indiana State University, not to Purdue. And so my sister sort of blazed the trail of, no, you know, I'm going to go away to school. And she saved her money and, and worked, you know, during high school and, and did that. And I thought, sort of thought, I can do that, too. So um, she was the one that motivated me to go to Purdue and to earn my way through college. So you go on and you graduate um, in math, and now was it is it in between that time that you went to work for Intel before you went to Stanford to get your MBA, or what was that path? Yes, I well, so I first I, I worked for um, when I first got out of out of Purdue, I worked for Hallmark Cards in Kansas City, Missouri, which was a cool experience, and then I moved to California in nineteen seventy seven and began working for Intel, and then I worked for Intel and. Uh, I end up. Uh, I was going to, to business school at night at the University of Santa Clara, and not finding that a great experience, mm-hmm. and got the opportunity to go to full time to Stanford to get my MBA, and that was in uh, 1980. Yeah, because I think a lot of the the career path in terms of getting into MBA schools, a lot of those schools, especially as prestigious as Stanford is, is to really have that two or three year work experience yeah. before you get in. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Stanford definitely looks for that. Yeah. Yeah, so I would imagine then you were there during the you know you're there in the in the the mid '80s and you know it was just a it was really the beginning. I grew up in Seattle, right? And so there was a little company up there around 1985, mm-hmm. '86 called Microsoft. It blew up into a big thing, and Starbucks and everybody else. I know you're very familiar with the the Seattle scene, but certainly that was kind of on the just the the edge of 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 when all the dot com. It was still pre course, but. Right is where companies really started to get momentum. At what point in time did you go work for IVP? I mean, how did you, again, make that? Yeah. So uh, I, when I, I had been in marketing at Intel, and I really expected after I got my MBA, I would go back into marketing in Silicon Valley. But along the way, there was sort of a, it was sort of a booming time for the venture capital firms. They were really growing, really looking for uh, more, more, uh, personnel and I got rec- I was one of the few people in my class at Stanford who had a Silicon Valley tech experience. So since most of the venture companies uh, pursue that those kind of um, investments, I got you know s- some interviews and then um, I ended up. It was actually a little bit of a funny story that's in the Alpha Girl book. IVP, the firm I went to work for, was uh, led by a gentleman named Reed Dennis who. Had was really one of the deans of the venture industry. Had really helped create the industry, and uh, I had an, uh, gotten an interview with him. And I had some friends who were part of the industry who said, "You know, if there's no reason to go interview with Reed Dennis, he would never hire a woman." And I said, "Well, okay, but I've you know have the interview set up, so uh, I ended up going over and interviewing with Reed and." We had a great time, and we talked. And at the end of the interview, he said, well, where do you have to be next? I said, bring him back on campus. He said, well, I just won't, don't want you to leave. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, there's a group coming in. I don't like to meet with entrepreneurs with, by myself. I said, okay, well, I'll stay. <laughs> and then by the, end of the, by the end of the day, I had an offer. So wow, it's wow. just, you know, from the guy who would never hire a woman, who turned out to be an amazing guy. I worked with him for 
you know, decades. Yeah. So when you're in that room and the, this this you know group of entrepreneurs came in and they're pitching, did you have any contribution to that conversation? Or afterwards, was there a like, hey, what'd you think? You know, where he had the bright light come off, and like, I need to have another perspective in the room. Yeah. You know, I remember. You know, I'm you know completely a fish out of water. Right. I've never done this before at all to listen to a pitch and. Um, I think I was a good listener, probably. And Reed had a funny thing. He was really into airplanes and boats. And um, uh, he always had a deal. He's like, his partner's supposed to keep him away from investing in anything that had to do with an airplane Mm. or a boat uh, or maybe wine. And so, as I recall, this deal had something to do with boats. So it really wasn't a an appropriate deal for <laughs> for IVP. So. Well, let, let's talk about the reason why um, typically venture likes to play in the space of technology, and I think that is because of the multiple, right? Absolutely. And versus, so give me an example of of a multiple of a company that you you guys have backed. I know. Let me just name a couple. Um, Concur. Um, I actually know those guys. Yellow based company, as you know. Uh, Dropbox, uh, Home Away, Kayak, Legal Zoom, Netflix, Slack, Uber, ZipRecruiter. I mean, talk about a multiple. So when you're talking about that versus something like, say, Starbucks, who still, you know, was a unique bird that went the distance, and and there's all been all these other cof- coffee chains, you know, who have mm-hmm. done okay, but nothing like Starbucks, right? So, but in general, the when you're talking about technology versus just typical retail. What is your thought process between why one would work and one maybe isn't something as interesting as something you want to invest in? Yeah, well, so just uh, briefly on the multiple, I mean, when I first joined, we were really looking for 10 times our money, and uh, that would be would have been considered uh, a hit. Or, well, that was our goal, was 10 times our money in any one deal. And so then if you make 10 investments, what you hope are that three of them make 10 times your money, you know, another three or, or you know, four make, you know, something, you know, five times your money or two to five times and, you know, the rest of them either to return the money or lose. We have a saying, you know, you can only lose all your money, yeah. right? <laughs> which, which it sounds like a crazy thing to say, but if you think about it, if you've, if you've got 10 deals and one of them, you lost all your money, yeah. but the other ones returned somewhere between two to 10 times your money, you didn't really care as much that you lost not. all your money. Yeah. So you don't lose a multiple of your money is my point. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. Well, is, is, it sounds like you guys were pretty successful of 43.1% in terms of companies that had some kind of successful outcome going public. I'm not sure if in that number is also being acquired. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, sure. I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a fantastic number, right? Yeah. Especially when you're, again, doing the math, you know, who cares about the ones you lost, but the ones that, you know, have that 10x multiple. Exactly. Amazing. Love it. So you're you're down, you're playing ball with the big boys and you're getting in. And, and, and so how do you then make your way up into becoming a partner versus just a worker bee? Well, th- well, that's kind of an interesting story, too, in that uh, Reed made Reed Dennis made me a full partner one year after I joined because he was an extremely generous person who wanted to work. He wanted to he didn't he didn't uh, have a structure where he was on top and a bunch of associates and underlings. He really wanted to get everybody to be 
peers. Now we might not have had the same ownership percentage, but we and you know, he wanted. We didn't really have a lot of associates back in those days. We mostly were just a group of partners or peers. So, but you know, in terms of how I made my way, because he and I hired everybody else in the firm, and now some of those people we hired were, well, they were all men, and a lot of them were older than me and more senior than me, and maybe even had a bigger equity stake than I did. But um, so I, I, it was an interesting position, but I was still trying to find my way. I was still a newbie in the venture business. I was in my, you know, mid-20s, right? And, you know, one guy had been the CEO of a company called Spectre Physics. And so a little bit, I think I employed what I would call kind of a Trojan horse, you know, model where I just kind of play the game. I mean, keep keep your nose, you know, clean, just do the job. The way you are successful in a venture partnership is to make your partners a lot of money. So if you make good investments, they like you a lot. Nope. And so my mode was to just kind of, you know, try to find great investments. And so it was going to be the uh, success that would be the great equalizer for them to accept me. And truly, I, I think actually they didn't really think of me that much as a woman. I had some of my partners say, when after they read the Alpha Girl book, they were like, yeah, I think one of me even says it in the book, MJ, we just thought you were one of the guys. Hmm. And he said, I meant that in a good way, you know, but um, yeah. that's what you try to be is, you know, try to. Which you had to respect that, which is great, That which yeah. is what you want. So, yeah. so what do you look for in companies that, you know, you've been at this game now 38 plus years and you've seen it all, I'm sure. And, and along with seeing it all has been evolving with the times. And now we're going through another um, adaption, right? Probably seeing streaming, Netflix skyrocket. You're probably seeing things like um, doing Zoom videos, you know, skyrocket, things like that, right? And is is there a certain formula? Is it the entrepreneur? Is it the personality? Is it the concept? Because a lot of times you're just reinventing, you know, a better a better widget yeah. right? at the end of the day. Yeah. I would, you know, some people think, some people feel it's all about the team, you know, in the CEO and in the in the team, which it which it definitely is about the team. Uh, other people will focus on you know their number one thing might be uh, a big market. I I really um, I really tended to focus on the market opportunity. Like one of my uh, best investments was in a company called Clarify, and it, the, I met with this guy who I'd worked with at Intel, and he came in and. He's a, he was an engineer. He was a pretty technical guy. Um, might I even say nerdy? And he started his talk by saying, well, I've been out doing some uh, market research, and I've tried out these two ideas. And I just said, stop right there. Repeat that again. You act, you, you did what? You know, for a technical – because usually what would happen, we'd have an hour pitch, and for 58 and a half minutes, the entrepreneur would talk about how great the technology they had was. Yeah. And then for, you know, we'd say, well, wait a minute, you know, you know, what problem are you trying to solve? How big is the problem? How many people, you know, how, what, how, how are you going to reach these people? And, and so I tend to focus on those kind of marketing things. Um, is there a real market here? Will the dogs eat the dog food? What proof do you have that there's mm -hmm. a market? How big is the market? How are you going to reach the, the, the uh, customers? So that was kind of my, always my thing. And it was a little bit unique within the firm. So that helped, you know, I always say, um, you know, try to find as, as if a woman, you know, in the business, I try to find things that I really contributed that were maybe different than the other partners. 
And that was sort of one of them that I was kind of the, the person who really looked at the markets. So I was talking with my good friend over here, Matt Stone, who also went to Stanford, and we went on a hike yesterday, and we were we were tossing around this whole concept about about men and women, just in general, right? All generalities, but you know, what is the drive where men sometimes bulldog their way, you know, to get where they want to get, and women maybe sometimes pull back just a little bit, right? Maybe that's changing today, but going back and and checking these percentages. It, 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 I think it, Matt was actually correct at some level in that only 8% of, of um, women are in venture, and there's only 2% that are women-owned companies, right? Something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So however you want to, you know, 8 and 2 or 10 and 3 or whatever, yeah. they're, they're, they're low small. numbers, right? Yeah. yeah. And so are, are you seeing any with, 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 with kind of today's environment and Black Lives Matter and empowering more women and just all this stuff— are you seeing more women coming to the table, maybe feeling more empowered or having better role models? I mean, how do you see that? Certainly it's different from yeah. the 50s, right? I think, you know, there's been a big push the last couple of years. Um, there's a organization that was formed called All, Ra- All Raise, and it was a, a group of women, some of the younger women in the venture business, who started really kind trying to really in a systematic way increase the number of women in venture increase the number of women that got funding and right at the same time you know we're in the me too era and so these issues are at the fore no not to, you know not to mention what's happened more recently with you know uh, people of color which which of course you know their representation in the in the venture world as venture capitalists or as uh, leading companies is is the you know minuscule compared to even these numbers? So, um, I think venture firms right now uh, in the last couple of years have started to say, "Well, we need a woman," you know. And if it was a little bit, I don't know if they necessarily believe that it would help them make better returns. Although there is evidence that that it does, a little bit of a check the box. Okay, well we got one, mm-hmm. um, but uh, and and trying to fund more women. The other thing I've seen is that. Um, women starting their own venture fund, saying, you know, we can't get hired by the fir- big firm if we're going to start our own fund. I've seen a lot of that in the last couple of years. And um, I'm part of an angel investment group that's all women, and it's called the Broadway Angels. And we're not, we don't strictly invest in women um, entrepreneurs, but personally the last six or seven investments I've made have all been in women so you're doing your part. I'm doing my thing. Yeah. Well, not only that, you know, and Broadway Angels, but also your your I I, I lost the the count, the many boards you you sit on, and so you know you have a voice, you have a seat at the table. So certainly you can make some kind of change, if need be. You know, if there's not a correct balance in there, and it's just great to have different voices and different perspectives at the end of the day, versus just having a bunch of dudes sitting in a mm-hmm. room with just you know their locker room. You know their view of the world um, on, you know, policies change, all those types of things. So I mean, it's it's great that you're you're involved. Now you're married to a guy that you met at at um, at Purdue, William. And the thing that's interesting to me about that is he is also a VC. Yes. However, I'm no longer married to William. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Of it, which is fine, but uh, uh, haven't been married to him for maybe. For, for a while, for 10 years or so. but uh, Yeah, that's, I'm sorry. But but I think that the, the main point I was trying to make here is this, is that that um, in, in this dynamic, right, 
of, of, of I, I think when women go out and they are working, right, and it's the expectation of some of the male blockheads out there, I used to be one of them, <laughs> where you are assuming that there's not a equality boundary, and it's still you're coming home, you're taking care of the kids, you're also cooking, you know, and so somehow or another, why, you know, the guy is sitting on the couch, right? And it, it just doesn't play. And so I'm sure communication, like anything, really comes in and kicks in, you know, in a big time way, as it just relates to like, we're all, we're equal, we're coming to this thing to create something better, but we, it's not, you do all the work and I, you know, cause you're, you're going out there. Right. This is a big issue. And, and, um, you know, Melinda Gates wrote a book last year and she talks about women and, uh, the unpaid work that is at home with, with a home and a family when women are, when women are working, the, there's a huge disparity, and if you take a, a, a dual working couple, there's a, up to twice as many hours a week that the, the woman tends to put into home and family than a man does. Mm-hmm. And I understand in today's times in COVID, it's really exacerbated because the kids are home, they're not in school, they have to be, t- there's a lot more unpaid work at home. So picture now, you're in a scenario where Let's say there's two two um, you know young people or two people in their in their thirties and they've got you know three small kids or two small kids at home and they're both working from home and you know how does that play out for all these you know for the schooling and who's watching the kids and maybe they can't afford to have a you know a childcare person or maybe they don't feel like that's very safe so I sort of say one of my you know alpha girl lessons is absolutely. Um, negotiate with your partner about how these things are going to be handled you know before you ever even have a family talk about how are you going to handle the unpaid work at home who's going to do what it doesn't have to be you know everything split down the middle some people are better at certain things but you have to ask for for fairness which doesn't really exist most of the time well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, this goes off into a whole other tangent, yeah. right? Which I which I love, by the way. Um, when we start talking about the five love languages, and you know, what, what, how, how can you really create a successful relationship with anybody? And when two people come together to create this union, you know, and the, the lack of communication, just bad things can happen, and people don't feel heard and appreciated and respected, and all these things, and that's where things tend to, to break apart. Sometimes, not always, but you know, again, it kind of routes back to this 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 whole idea. I just got this book delivered to me too by um, that Marlo Thomas and Phil Donahue had written, and they've gone out and they've interviewed forty different couples, and the whole notion is just like what makes a successful relationship mm-hmm. to people who've been in in the public eye. So not only do you you have notoriety. But and have that pressure, but when you go out and who's doing mm-hmm. what, and and so again, at the end of the day, kind of the through line is this whole thing about communication, Absolutely. like you said, right? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, picking the right, per- making sure you have the same values before you select a partner is, you know, backing way up and and talking about these things as early as possible, so that you don't get in a situation where you really see things totally differently. Absolutely. Now, um, something I want to jump into because you've mentioned it several times, and and it's it's it, it looks really fascinating is this whole book on the Alpha Girls, 
right? So just tee that up for me, what that is. I want to make sure I say this right. So why don't you say it in your own words, what the Alpha Girls, because it's not only yourself. Yeah, so the Alpha Girls is a book written by a woman named Jillian Guthrie who um, had had done uh, reporting and, and journalism at the Chronicle and written a couple of other successful books uh, as well. And she she uh, had written a book called The Billionaire and the Mechanic, which was about Larry Ellison. And she'd written a book about SpaceX. And when she was tooling around Silicon Valley and going to some of these book interviews, she was like, where are all the women? So she got really fascinated by, you know, something you said uh, previously. You know, you're in these meetings and there just aren't that many women. So she started digging into this issue. And I think, you know, and with the backlight of the book, The Hidden Figures, and, you know, wondering, you know, where are, are there some women like that, that were kind of the hidden figures in the venture capital, in the, in the Silicon Valley? So she, and she, she focused on the venture industry. So she, she ended up picking four of us that were from the venture industry. And she, um, one thing I like about what, what she did or how she picked, picked people, she, she talked about, you know, this, our successes, not just, oh, these were interesting people or weren't they clever or weren't they nice, but but more of the lens of how did they contribute to the infrastructure of Silicon Valley? What companies did they start that ended up being uh, part of the fabric of Silicon Valley? So um, four of us, really different people, different, some of us, you know, sort of different time frames. Uh, and the book is written on a timeline. So starts out actually with me driving to California in my 1972 Pinto. Uh, that's how the book starts. <laughs> You've come a long way. <laughs> With rusted out floorboards where I could see Interstate yeah. 280 underneath me as yeah. I came in. Because, um, But anyway, uh, she, just, uh, you know, she just basically goes through and profiles and tells the stories and some great stories about the companies and how they got started and what roles we all played and what obstacles we hit. And um, so... It came out. Um, the book came out in uh, early May last year, and so I'm going to get back to the book in just a second. Um, the the of all the you know you take your 38 years and something that you just touched on in terms of the key successes over your career and driving out in your Pinto and kind of being there in the beginning mm-hmm. and and you know and you've you know you've been a part of this amazing growth and as you said part of the fabric of society of many of these these different companies is there one company that stands out to you that is just you're you're proud as a peacock about because of what they've been able to become what they stand for in society their contribution all those things well, I mean, for me, I, I mentioned this company earlier when I talked about uh, the marketing focus, and I think it was because this company had a marketing focus. It, it was uh, this company named Clarify. Yeah, that's a, is that your top dog? Yeah, and you know they were, you know, the lineage of they were they automated the customer support uh, departments for uh, enterprise companies, and you know, in that lineage of what would later become, you know, the sales forces yeah. of the world. But they really, they really changed the world in the, so- the software that they brought. One thing that um, I didn't mention, and you talked about funding retail and, you know, the, the thing between tech and yeah. retail. One thing we always looked for was our ideas at companies that are not very capital intensive. Because if you start a software company, I mean, the amount of funding it takes to start a software company, you know, well, back in the day, I mean, it could be something under $10 million. And you're never going to start 
a brick and mortar retail company for under $10 million. So making 10 times your money, it really helps if the money part is, is, is limited. So that's why I, you know, love software. Another company that IVP uh, funded, which, you know, we have to be pretty proud of, and I wish I still held every share we ever distributed, and that's Netflix. Mm. We were the first, uh, in the first investment group at Netflix. And, um, they didn't start out doing what they're doing now. You, you might have, rem- you might remember that they were competing with a brick and mortar video rental people. Yeah. So you you'd go online, you pick the movies you want, and they'd come in the mail. Yeah. The CDs would come in the mail, but um, they segued into the business they're doing now. They actually still do that a little bit. Nobody knows they still do that, but um, you know what what a success they've been, right? They've been huge. They've been huge, and I love Netflix too. Uh, and back to your point too, I started a, a venture back company way back in the day. It was a gaming company, and to your point. It's just the amount of inventory and guessing and ordering six, seven months in advance and China and floating containers. And it was yeah. just, it's it's just so hard to grow, you know? Absolutely. You have an unfair advantage when you back a software company. Well, yeah, yeah I'm in a software company now, so I understand that very clear. <laughs> One of the things that um, I, I, I really appreciated, and I want to kind of go through these. We don't have to go through, and this goes back to the Alpha, Alpha Girl book is some of the keys to success, right? And the one thing that I think everybody should hold, actually all these all these things everybody should have in their company, regardless of who you are, but the first thing on the list was humor, right? And there's some good examples about the year fired um, uh, a time when when you had to go in and, and fire somebody and they didn't take you serious because you're a woman, yeah. right? And so you want to add on to that at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I think humor and, and I would put with that um, thick skin. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, was in the Bay Area last year in, in, in an interview. Uh, she said great advice she got from her, her um, soon-to-be mother-in-law at the time was, it's great to be a little bit deaf at uh-huh. times. And she said she had used that in both her marriage and in her career. And so, you know, if, if, a, if a woman were to just get, you know, riled up about every little slight, every little perceived slight and or things she was left out of. I mean, most women would never make it in the business world because there's just too many little things that happen every day mm-hmm. that, you know, a man probably would never be aware of because it's just not happening to them. So I think having a sense of humor, seeing these things with a lens of humor um, and having thick skin and, and then save save your firepower for when, you know, for that time when you really do need to speak up because if you're always complaining about everything that's happening in the workplace, nobody's going to listen to you. And uh, I remember one time at IVP at a offsite meeting where you know, and and I kind of played that long. I'd used humor. I'd kind of didn't get overly sensitive about things, but you know, something came up and I just you know really slammed the table and everybody was like, "Whoa!" You know, they listened right because yeah. that was not my normal. Thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think everybody could use a yeah. little humor, especially in today's environment, right? Absolutely, especially to, in today's world. Yeah. So, another one is don't sit on the sidelines. And I think that's a lot of like, like I, I have, and this happened to me for a period of time, and it was this whole thing about sitting on the sidelines. But what you really need to do is get back in the lane of life. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, and I have a, something that's a little bit of a corollary to that, too, is, is I tell women make conflict your friend. You know how most people really, if you ask them, do you like conflict? Most people would say no. I would maintain that 
one of the keys to being good in in, in life is to uh, to address the conflict that that's in the room, in your relationship, or in the workplace, or wherever it is. And that was one thing uh, at Intel. Intel was a leader, an amazing um, company in this uh, a, a technique they called constructive confrontation. So if you meet any Intel people, they will not have this fear of conflict mm. because it's something we learned how to do. And so in my, in my career and in my life, I, I, I actually like conflict because, you know, if you deal with conflict, you're usually going to get somewhere with, with people. Yeah. You're going to get the feedback. You're going to learn. So don't stay on the sidelines. Get in there and, you know, deal with that thing, right? Yeah. It just, I mean, there's nothing worse than having things that just kind of gnaw oh, at you. And, right? It, it's awful. Locker room talk. Find out what's true or not. That's another one. So, so, yeah, so some of this, yes, absolutely, locker room talk. Um, so, to, what, what does that mean? I know what that means from a football standpoint, <laughs> but what does that mean in your world? I know what's true or not. Uh, that, um, so part part of some of these were were all of us all the different alpha girls uh, the four of us and so I think one of the other alpha girls had a particular story about an alpha a lo- of a locker room yeah. kind of a situation that she uh, had to deal with. Well, so. Uh, okay, so let me say it to you differently for for you personally, right? You're in this all male demographic VC or VC not just IVP but all the the Sandhill um, venture companies. And guys being guys, and sometimes guys, especially from the older generations, aren't always politically correct and say stupid stuff that they shouldn't be saying, yeah. right? And so, like, as a woman, you know, how do you roll with that punch? And maybe that goes back to point number one, which is humor. Yeah, I think absolutely. It's it's um, having that thick skin and, and, and the being a little bit deaf. But an, But another thing I would say about that is that I think it's really important to, with the men that you're working with, in addition to, you know, having good sense of humor and and rolling with the punches, is to identify and cultivate allies. Because, you know, when you're in a situation, when, you know, it may sound a little bit crazy, but, you know, to be in a meeting and for a woman to speak up in a group of people, to have one guy in the room you know, shaking his head, yes, like you just did. Mm-hmm. When you're talking, it does. You know, it's amazing. It sounds so 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 little, but um, having male allies is is really key. And I think identify those and cultivate them. Make 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 them your friend. Don't don't view all the, you know the guys. It's them versus me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, that makes total sense to me. And the last one I want to talk about is not enabling the uh, underachievers. And I think too many people do that. Maybe because they go back to that first thing there, the second thing you said about not really addressing conflict. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think one thing in, in the venture business in terms of underachievers, I mean, the thing that we have to be good at and it doesn't it does deal with conflict is, you know, we back these entrepreneurs with the idea that they're going to be successful and we're on the same team, right? I mean, we're, we both have equity in this, in the same company, but it doesn't always work out. And venture capitalists have a reputation of, you know, um, being quick to get rid of, of CEOs and people that are not performing, underachieving. 
But the opposite is really true. We mostly hang on way too long, hoping the person that we picked will rise to the challenge and giving them a lot of rope. So I think to the extent that uh, venture capitalists, if if you can identify, you know, that this person isn't isn't going to be able to, you know, either stay in that role or hopefully stay with the company, but maybe not stay in that role. In the company I mentioned, Clarify, the guy who started it that I meant, I talked about, we finally took the company public. And when he got public, uh, he came and he said, you know, I don't think I'm the right guy to, to go to take it from here to the next phase. Yeah. And so he promoted somebody in the staff to be the CEO, and he became the chairman. I think it's pretty rare when you have, you know, Howard Schultz go from concept to mega company Absolutely. Yeah, just really being a master at each one of those different Absolutely. levels as you, as you climb yeah. your way up, right? Yeah. So rounding third base here, you um, are deeply involved in various charities. We're, today we're sitting here in Sun Valley, Idaho at Higher Ground. Higher Ground's an amazing organization. They um, We have just recently come together to hold hands to raise money. And, and I wanted to ask you about your attraction to higher ground and what, you know, the value system and what they bring to the table and what you're trying to do or help in some way, some small way, you know, where does that tie come for you? Yeah. I mean, I think higher ground, one thing I've been impressed with, just, I mean, going back to my background, is how entrepreneurial they've been. I mean, they started out, you know, using adaptive sports for kids in the community and they've, you know, still doing that. But the segue to help our vets and to develop these amazing programs for the vets. And uh, so I just love how they're nimble. They really um, have gone after different things and along the way, you know, tried this and tried that and then, oh, that's really working. So um, that's one thing I, I really appreciate about about them, how they've um, managed to just evolve their, their programs. And uh, certainly we can't do enough for the vets in our country. So certainly I'm just so thankful for them for that. Yeah, really amazing and amazing people involved. My daughter is epilepsy. And so I was uh, I had an event back in early January of 2020 here and called Amelia's Everest. And we're trying to raise some money. We ultimately did. And, um, you know, it's just it, 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 the thing I, I like you said, being nimble and be mm-hmm. able to change or um, alter a little bit of the mission statement. And I know there's a big focus with the military, but it's really, um, it, it's just not military people like my daughter, who's not a military person. Right. Um, she has epilepsy. It's cognitive. And so it's just like, what kind of resources and awareness can we bring to the table when we all hold hands to solve, you know, a bigger problem? Yeah, it, it's it's incredible how many, you know, what kind of resources we have in this community that, you know, it's it's not a big town. It's not a big community, but the resources for something like a higher ground for the kids in this community, it's it's spectacular. And, you know, I don't I can't think of anything like it in the Bay Area. Well, there, there's another thing that, that, that me personally, and that's just, you know, no, it, not everybody has to be aligned with this, but when you... Um, it's one thing to give, and that's super important because that's where awareness and vac- uh, vaccines and other things come come from. But on on the other side of that too is this whole notion where you can actually get involved, and you're talking about interactive therapy and going up in the mountains and going hiking, and and then sitting around and having that, those conversations, those hard conversations about the struggles, you know, finding their own summit 
mm-hmm. where they're trying to go, the adversity, you know, the resilience that they need, the grit, all those things. And so um, that's why I personally am really jacked up. And so for anybody listening, again, um, there is a tab on my website, and, uh, and it, it's, uh, it's called Amelia's Everest, the Lotsi Challenge, and we're trying to get there, you know, hand in hand to try to get not only her but many other people you know, healed in the big picture. So where can people find you? I know you have a website, and I'm not going to – where can people find you? Yes, I do have a website. It's just mjlmore.com. And uh, I recently just put that up there to kind of tie in together sort of um, four different things I'm doing, which are, you know, one, uh, you know, there's, there's Alpha Girl. There's MJ's Alpha Girl Lessons uh, on, on that tab. There's – the philanthropies that I'm particularly excited about, um, as well as my investing, and then finally a kind of a new thing for me. I've really gotten passionate about oil painting. So you're really I, good, by the way. Oh, thank you. Seriously, so that's been a fun thing for me to to get involved in, and it's something I've always liked but never had time for. So well, the thing I love about that too is that you you know you you talked about it as your third trimester, yeah. right? I mean, I, everybody probably has a different name for that. Um, and to me, things come in chunks, chunks of ten. Right. And um, what I was doing, what I do today, I was not doing way back when I was playing football and other things like that. Right. And so here we are. And so for you to kind of reinvent yourself and and take some of the energy of maybe raising kids and being involved in these companies, taking a back seat and being more of an advisor than, a you know, an active partner and spending your time and and really acting out some of those passions in life that you have that you can really, you know, this hidden talent that you're now discovering. Exactly. It's, it's It's been really fun, especially in today's environment where we're all, you know, not out and about as much as we have been in the past. Yeah. And so oil, oil painting has been a wonderful thing for well, me. Well, that is that is awesome. Listen, MJ, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Um, you're another one of these amazing women, you know, put a big W, Wonder Woman, on, <laughs> on your chest with a cave and fly out the door. You know, it's just it's great and it's inspiring. And I know people like my daughters um, will get uh, a lot of inspiration from this bot. Thank you. Thank you. It's fun. There she is, MJ. <laughs> hey, and thank you so much for listening to the Find Your Summit podcast. We are so glad to have you along for this journey. And if you enjoy the show, please tell a friend, share it on iTunes, spread it to the planet. We're looking to broadcast this to every person that is out there because as you know everybody has their own summit that they're going after okay if you're looking to follow my journey you can find that through my social links on mark nfl.com that's mark m-a-r-k pattison p-a-t-t-i-s-o-n nfl.com so until the next podcast just remember clear eyes full hearts and remember it takes a little more to make a champion so make it happen thank you bye this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.